ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you've got questions about today's episode or ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email. The email address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. <clears throat> Excuse me, little frog in my throat today. Um, I am joined by phone, on the phone, uh, today with Carl Olson. Carl, are you still there? I am here, yes. Glad glad that you're there. Uh, and we'll introduce Carl in a moment. But Carl and I are going to be talking about his own answer to the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? This is a series that I've been doing on Ignition lately, just asking different interesting people. I couldn't find one today. Uh, <laughs> asking different interesting people uh, what is, their answer to what, what it means to be a Christian. And you'll find out why. I think this is going to be a great show from Carl when um, when he shares a little bit of his, uh, just who he is uh, in a moment. But if you haven't turned into tuned into Ignition before, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls, been in that role um, since t- September of 2002, um, and uh, more importantly, married to Jermaine for 20 plus years now, and we have five kids. Um, my wife is from Ohio, I'm from Central Minnesota, but our kids are all born and raised here in Eastern South Dakota. So, Carl, Carl who who is Carl Olson? Carl, inquiring minds want to know. Well, I am uh, the editor of Catholic World Report. I've been working for Ignatius Press um, for, well, since about 2003, almost as long as you've been in your your position. Yeah. And um, I'm originally from western Montana, a little town in western Montana. I was raised in what we can fairly uh, call a fundamentalist Protestant home, although we call ourselves New Testament Christians or just Christians. And so I was raised in a rather anti-Catholic background, which I think is important because, uh, you know, a lot of my thought has been shaped by addressing that. Uh, Attended Evangelical Bible College for a couple of years in Canada, attended Art College for a couple of years, and then my wife Heather and I, who we got married in 1994 in Oregon, after I moved to Oregon, uh, in 1997, we entered the Catholic Church. And um, so we've been Catholic for about 23, 22 years. I uh, just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Um, so I'm a writer and author. I've written some books, edited some books, um, and um, been privileged to to work with the great folks at Ignatius Press, who, of course, do tremendous work, publish a lot of incredible books. Uh, and so I've been really fortunate to work uh, doing something I love and, and thinking about some of these really great central questions like the one we're discussing today, which... Um, you know, it's a, it's a simple question on one hand, and yet it's obviously one that you could talk about, you know, endlessly because there's so many different facets. Amen. You know, Amen. So, Did yeah. you know, by the way, Carl, you've you've been on Ignition at least, this is like your ninth or tenth appearance, um, so. It's been, it's been several, yeah. We've yeah. had several great conversations uh, over the years, and yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know about, I, mean, I don't know about that. We, we won't, we've had conversations, say. <laughs> so. <laughs> well, we had some great moments on the road too. I mean, out in the out in the prairies of South Dakota. Yeah. You know, my mother, as you know, my mother grew up not too terribly far from where you are in Sioux Falls, 
and my father is from the western part of South Dakota. So I, I kind of feel a connection to South Dakota, even though I never lived there. I've spent time there, and um, so yeah, we've had you. Yeah, we, we had. It's been several years ago. Back the, there was there was some novel that came out a few years ago that you wrote. <laughs> what was that called? <laughs> well, the one. Yeah, I remember though coming there. I gave, you had me come and give a talk, a series of talks on eschatology. Yeah. You know, and yeah. kind of the rapture and all that stuff, yep. and that was that was really uh, wonderful. And I actually discovered at that time that, or shortly before that, I discovered that one of my aunts on my mom's side, she came from a very large family, was actually a, a practicing Catholic. I thought that my wife and I were the only Catholics in our extended right, family, right? And in fact, my aunt Kathy was there, and she came, and it was really wonderful. So I have really great memories of, of that. Amen. Amen. So again, as you said, the the important question um, and interesting because of your backstory, because you grew up in a quote unquote New Testament uh, church, um, as you put it, New Testament Christian. Um, what does it mean to be a Christian now for you? Obviously, for many, 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 many years now, um, having having come into the Catholic Church, I, I, I'm just curious how you answer this question. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, first of all, I would say, picking up on that, carrying that on, I, I'm still very much, even more so, a New Testament Christian right. now, I would like to think, uh, because I really came to see that what the Catholic Church is, of course, is the Church founded by Jesus Christ, and so what we read about in the New Testament and the Acts of the Apostles and so forth is the Church in that kind of sealing form. You know, but as a fundamentalist Protestant, even as an evangelical Protestant, I would say that being a Christian would be, I would say, well, it needs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ to accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I'm happy to say that as a Catholic, I absolutely would repeat that emphatically. But there's now a, a broader and I think even deeper understanding of what it means to be a Christian. But it is, first and foremost, I think, rooted in this reality of being a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God. And so it really begins with recognizing who Jesus Christ is, and, and believing uh, that he is uh, fully God, fully man, and that he did actually come into time and history, and he, he taught, and he uh, suffered, and he died, and then he rose again. And, and as you know, I wrote a book on the resurrection. I think the, yep. the resurrection is really essential to all of this. Um, but I would also go back to a, a phrase that um, Father David McConey uh, who was my co-editor in this book that you contributed to, called to be the children of God, he had this great phrase in the introduction where he talked about how uh, in Christ, kenosis is our theosis. And for me, this is really at the heart. What is that? Whoa, 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 whoa. What is... What? Yeah, <laughs> in no, Christ, who's this? this? What's this? Is this, is this, is this a Dr. Seuss book? Yeah, that's right. Well, it, it's obviously catchy, and it's also mystifying. I've not heard these terms. <laughs> So, you know, when we talk about the kenosis of Christ, you know, we're referring to, in part, to this uh, passage in in, uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, Philippians 2, where he talks about Christ emptying himself, becoming a man. And this is the the fancy Greek term there is kenosis. The emptying, the emptying particularly, right? Right, emptying himself. And so for our, our kind of simple purposes here, it's really, it speaks to the humility of God, the condescension of God, and we, we often hear the word condescension in a negative way, right. but really, theologically, it's a profound truth. It means that God actually comes down and initiates and meets us. So then it, it goes back to this reality, this belief that, that God is triune, that God is relational, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
and that the three persons have this continual perfect communion with one another. So I would say, you know, for me, when I talk about what it means to be a Christian, I, for me, you can't separate this from the reality of, of the, the theology. And I don't, you know, like like Chesterton and Dorothy Sayers and some of my other heroes, I don't view theology as being dry and academic and boring. I think it's, you know, the dogma is the drama, as yeah. Dorothy Sayers wrote. And so when we really begin to... I, I was thinking about this uh, a while back on the on the Feast of the, of the Most Holy Trinity. What if we, and I mean, what if I actually lived as if the Trinity were real? <laughs> you know? Yep. I mean, it's easy to say it in the Creed, it's easy, but if God really is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and everything that exists is because of who He is, it speaks to His relational self, that He wishes to commune, uh, He does commune perfectly within Himself, you know, the economic Trinity, as we call it, but he created all that is. And we talk about sometimes about the mystery of evil, but there's also the mystery of creation, right? Why does something exist rather than not exist? And I think the ultimate answer, even though it remains a profound mystery, is because of God's love. You know, he created out of love. So one thing as a fundamentalist, I would I would maybe if I would have emphasized needing to be free from my sins, to be saved from my sins, and that's absolutely essential as well. Absolutely. But as I become uh, became a Catholic and I spent time being a Catholic and thinking about it more, I've tried to really balance that by recognizing that God ultimately wishes to bring all of us into communion with Himself. He desires that we know Him, that we love Him, that we enter into eternal beatitude with Him, and that this isn't boring at all. This is the most exciting thing because it's the essence of reality. It's what we're made for. So, so the the the, the Greek word that phrase you um, and what was the kenosis theosis phrase again from Father Yeah, Maconi? so you know, in in Christ's kenosis and His self emptying is our theosis. That is, that's the second part there, which is we then, because Christ empties Himself and becomes became man for our sake we then are able to become filled with the divine life of God through the saving work of Christ, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because this is what the Father desires. He wishes that all men be saved, as Paul writes to Timothy. And, and, that, um, and that's that, you know, where... You know, so I, so that's where like kind of connecting then um what you experienced growing up if you will with um saved from something but we're also saved for something so we're saved from right. sin we're saved from damnation from all the consequences of sin but we're, but we're also saved for something which is ultimately sharing in God's own life his own nature uh to be divinized deified to experience theosis yeah, exactly. And I think sometimes it can be uh, maybe too much emphasis on one or the other. Like, as a fundamentalist, there's such an emphasis on being saved from sin. Now, I want to say, I, I think that we live in an age and a time where the, my personal opinion is there needs to be maybe a little bit more emphasis on the right, right. sin. That sin, and to understand sin correctly, which is really to to act and to think contrary to what is right and proper for us, because it is contrary to who God is and what God desires for us. Right. It goes against the nature of reality. Now, I come back to this thing about reality. To be a Christian is to embrace yep. reality, and reality ultimately is Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, I recently taught, I teach a weekly Bible study at my parish, 
And a, uh, a few months ago, we finished up a study of Paul's letter to the Colossians. And it's been a while since I've really studied it seriously. And, you know, when you read Colossians, you know, the, it's, it's such a profound meditation on the nature of Jesus Christ. I mean, he, he Paul really emphasizes, you know, Christ created all, everything was created through him, by him, for him. He is the Lord of history. He is the Lord, you know, he is uh, the, the center of everything precisely because he is God and also because this is how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have worked, if you will, have worked out the plan of salvation in time and space and history. Um, and, you know, with this thing called, we call the Trinitarian missions, and the Father sends the Son, and the Son then gifts the Holy Spirit to us, and then that is also that we can come back into communion with the Father. Um, I think this is incredibly exciting and, and liberating, you know, because we look at the way the world is and how people are so, they, they obviously seek to find satisfaction and meaning in a lot of different things. You know, we, we all know the story. It's whether it's power or money or pleasure or whatever it is. Um, I was, I think I was fortunate and I don't know why, uh, because I'm not, it's not like I'm really the super profound guy, but at an early age, I really just kind of recognized that all that stuff as tempting as it is, and I can't say that I haven't struggled with it, but it doesn't last. Yeah. I really saw the, the, the temporal nature of it. Um, just something that I, for whatever reason, I really struck me, even in my teens, I, as I was struggling with different things, you know, the normal teenage stuff, I, I really came back to the fact that all this stuff is going to end. And then where am I going to be? What is this mm-hmm. all about? Mm-hmm. Right? And when you begin to realize that, that for me, the big change too, when I was in Bible college is recognizing that God doesn't want to just punish me. He's not this angry, vengeful God. He, his anger is aimed at sin. His anger really is a sign of his love. When we, when we read passages like in the Old Testament or New Testament about the anger of God and the judgment of God, that is really aimed at those things that keep us from Him. And obviously, He desires that we reject those things by His grace and power. So, um, at the heart of being a you know, being a Christian is really to embrace the reality of who we are and what we are made for. And that, to bring it full circle back to the kenosis, that requires you know, profound humility and, you know, true humility is recognizing who we are before God. And it's not about, it's not about groveling. It's about professing it and acknowledging it and embracing it as a, as a liberation. It's a profound liberation to say, you know, I'm, I'm not the creator of all things. I'm not, I can't manipulate reality. (laughs) I can't, you know, this whole idea of, you know, make yourself be your own guy, do your own thing. You can achieve anything. Well, no, we are limited. <laughs> right. Amen. And and when we begin and we begin to embrace that and to praise God for who he is and how he desires us to be perfect. God desires us to be perfect. And Jesus says it himself in Sermon on the Mount, right? Be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. That's not just poetic nonsense from our Lord, that's reality. He wishes us to be perfect, that is, to be perfected in holiness and grace. Um, and I think that's the part of it. And I think, you know, this is, the crazy thing is, I think this is even a countercultural message, even in parts of the Church. <laughs> yeah, amen, um, amen. But I think it's always been the case. It's always been the case. We always, we'll, we'll always struggle with this, because it's so demanding. 
uh, to live and to think this way. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. This is a broadcast for the New Evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, talking today with Carl Olson um, about his answer to what it means to be Christian. Carl's the editor of Catholic World Report, author of a number of books, um, and over the years become a good friend and uh, a regular guest on Ignition. So just explaining that, so the, the, the knowledge, knowing certain things about God, but really even more, as you said, Carl, embracing reality. Um, how, how would you answer? Somebody said, like, if they're listening to this, that, but so is this all in your head? Like, is Christianity about something that's like just in your head? Or, but I know you're saying about reality. So, like, is, 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 is there, is, is it about knowing certain things or what does this embracing of reality entail? Yeah, no, it's a great question because, um, I'm, I'm well aware that for like myself, um, my faith in many ways has been very much caught up in kind of a cerebral or sometimes kind of, you know, pursuing intellectually. Uh, and I think, you know, when I was in Bible college as an evangelical, there came a couple key moments for me where I had to, speaking of humility, I had to embrace my limitations. Mm. And I, I kind of had to spend time in prayer and just, and basically say, you know, God, please, please break me. Please, shape me, please mold me. Um, you don't have to have a grasp of a lot of theology or doctrine, but I think you have to have a really uh, a solid understanding of, of the fact that God has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died for us, who rose again, who truly lives. He's not just a, an idea. He's not just a, a fictional character that we, we hold on to in some poetic sense. He really does live and that we do have this personal encounter with him, something that, uh, you know, like John Paul II and, and Benedict and, and even Pope Francis have emphasized, to be transformed by meeting the living Christ. And I think at the heart of that, obviously, our worship and prayer, coming to God and worshiping him, that is acknowledging him, and doing it not just by yourself, although certainly we pray, we pray by ourselves and even worship God by ourselves, but I think we realize that salvation is also something that happens with others. You know, this is the nature right. of the Church. The right. Church is the household of God, and that we're not just saved alone on an island, but that our salvation is intimately bound up with the new heavens and the new earth, that we're, we're part of this new creation. Um, we are new creatures who are part of the new creation, and the Church is at the, at the center of this plan that God has for us. You know, the, the very first paragraph of the Catechism talks about this, uh, really beautifully, that, that God, uh, that Christ established His Church so that we can be saved, and that we're saved through the Church, and that it's through the Church that we receive baptism, that we uh, receive the Eucharist, and that these things are also that we grow in the divine life of God, His grace. Um, so that that is was really one of the big things for me, moving from evangelicalism to the Catholic Church, was embracing a much broader and deeper ecclesiology, understanding of the Church, and then, of course, recognizing the sacraments and, and really recognizing that the sacraments weren't just uh, motions that we go through, and the Eucharist wasn't uh, just a symbolic reminder, as I grew up thinking that you know, the Lord's Supper was, but it really is the reception of the true body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, that we do become Christ ones, Christians, um, and so that, you know, it's 
when you go from Scott Hahn has talked about this I think really well, when you go from becoming an evangelical to Catholic, it's 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 remarkable. You don't have to really get rid of a lot of right. things, so to speak. What happens is that you kind of pass through a refining fire and you realize that what comes out is something much more even stronger and, and with more depth and, and more richness. Um, and you, you realize that it, there's such a, an incredibly huge universe, if you will, when you step inside the church, something that Chester talked about. You know, you, right. you look at the church from the outside, it's like, yeah, okay. When you step into the church, you realize, wow, it's it's mind-blowing. Um, for all of its difficulties and challenges, uh, there's so much more there than you would have ever thought from the outside. I want to I want to uh, so come, actually, something you just said right there, I'm going to come back to, but I want to kind of recap maybe uh, in my words, sir, how have you been answering this question, what it means to be Christian so far? So with the emphasis of knowledge and doctrine, to me, it seems like if, if the greatest commandment that Jesus says is to love God and love our neighbor, um, we, we can't love we, what we don't know. So the doctrine is necessary so we're actually loving God and and loving the actual people around us, knowing what it means to be human, the nature of reality, etc. And then you were emphasizing also uh, worship and, and, and prayer. Um, this is where we encounter that, that word that you use, the personal encounter. We encounter God in the liturgy. It's not it's not empty ritual. It's not um, merely symbolic action, but it's actually um, because he's asked. This is this is this the form of worship he's given to us. This is the means by which we truly, this side of heaven, encounter him. So the doctrine is there to know him um, uh, so that we can love him. And then in, in the worship and the liturgy, that's where we actually interact with him, where we're, we're actually in relationship with him. Yeah, and the, you know, the Catechism has a great phrase where it talks about how the dog, dogmas are these the, the light. They illuminate the way for us. Yeah, And you know the, the Church has always been very clear that when we have these verbal articulations of what, you know, like who God is, those things are true, but we also know that the mystery of God is something that we can never fully grasp. I mean, if we could fully grasp it, it wouldn't be God. Amen. Uh, and yet when we say that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that really does mean something absolutely true and real. It's not just our formula, and then these people over here have their formula, and gosh, we're all part of the same belief system. No, there really are distinctives to the Christian understanding of reality of everything. And again, I go back to the, what I said about the Trinity. What if we really believe the right. Trinity was actually real? It's the heart of everything, right? And because I think well, sometimes we, we get it backwards. It's like, oh, we start from who I am, and, and then, oh, well, so, you know, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't that nice? It becomes kind of... This is where Dorothy Sayers, by the way, is really fantastic. She really does a beautiful job in some of her essays explaining how... Again, dogma is the drama. When we really begin to delve into the specifics of the creed and to recognize these things are true, and they, they really illuminate what is real, then, we, we again, it begins to shape us a bit. Now, but that's not enough. We also, as sayers, would be happy to say, we also have to come before God and offer ourselves, as Paul talks about to the Romans, offer ourselves spiritual sacrifices Right. So this really gets back to this whole notion. If God is love, well, what is love? Love is self-giving. It's yep. sacrifice. This is why the cross illuminates the heart of God for us. It reveals the heart of God in a really radical way. So when we love God, we love our neighbor. When we, uh, you know, are in a marriage or whether in a, other relationships, we sacrifice ourselves. We participate 
in this self-giving. And this is how it's worked out in the real world, right? When we, the choices we make on a daily basis to do this, to not do this, to say this, to not say this, this is how this Trinitarian life is revealed. Even if it's in small ways that we can't necessarily pinpoint at the very moment, it builds and develops, um, and it shapes then further who we are and our relationships with others and our relationship with God. So we see this whole great, what, what Thomas Howard would call, you know, the dance. Yeah, yeah. Chance or dance, actually, um, I, I just picked up that book of his, um, the second edition that Ignatius Press, who you work for, um, published, uh, republished a couple of years ago. Um, really, I, I, I haven't finished it, but but what I've written so far, I'm really loving it. Carl, we've only got about th- uh, just under three minutes to go. I want to go back to something that you said um, just a little bit ago about, you know, the, the sort of stepping into the church and, and sort of being wowed by the expanse of it. My words, not yours, but I think it reflects what you said. Um, and so you, right. you're an adult convert. You with your wife Heather, <clears throat> as adult converts, um, especially 2002, the scandals then, but then even the scandals um, the last couple of years in the in the, the church in the U.S., but even globally, um, and, and just you know some confusion about what church teaches a little bit. Do you ever regret? Boy, it just would have been so. It was so much simpler when I was an evangelical fundamentalist <laughs> Protestant. Um. I know I've never regretted it. I, I think what it actually has done is it's just uh, reiterated something that I was taught correctly as as an evangelical, which is that we are fallen, sinful creatures in desperate yeah. need of salvation. And um, of course, it's easy to say, you know, look at those people, but you know, recognizing it in myself, and then not being surprised. And then when you look at the history of the church too, um, you can, hey, we could go all the way back to Saint Peter and his failing, right? And then the fact that he yep. is, is is redeemed and, and re put put back into his position as, as head of the church, and but you see it all through the church, the, the history of the church. This is a perennial issue that is sin and temptation and corruption and difficulty. Um, it's always the case. Now that doesn't mean that I just kind of these things don't affect you. They right. should affect you. You should be you know wanting to understand them and, and so forth. But. This is human nature, and I think one of the problems we have is I think we, we sometimes buy into the myth of progress, like, oh, we can just keep getting better and better yep. and better. We shouldn't have these problems. Yep. Not true. Nope. You're constantly going to have sin. Yep. It's, it's a reality. So um, I, it so, just reiterates the, the yeah. Reiterates the, so finish that sentence, actually. It reiterate- well, I, I come back to a, a quote from Cardinal Newman who says, the true Christian may be almost defined as the one who has a ruling sense of God's presence within him, a ruling sense. That is, we have to subject ourselves to the will and mercy and love of God, because it is reality, it is truth. Um, not illogical, not contrary to reason, but beyond reason, super reason. And so we have to submit ourselves. Again, humility. It goes back to the fact that God is humble enough to come to us. Amen. Are we humble enough to come to him? Amen. Right. Amen. So um, we're, 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 we're down to 30, 25 Four, three seconds, Carl. Um, <laughs> ten seconds, summarize what you just said, the last 27 minutes. God became man in his love for us so that we could become children of God, filled with his life, able to love him for eternity. That's what it means to be a Christian. Great answer. Thanks for being with us today, Carl. 
All right. Thanks, Chris. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.